0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the EMG Health Podcast. I'm your host for today, Isabel O'Brien, and today I'm joined by William Solomon, who is the chairman and CEO of the Accreditation Council for Medical Affairs. How are you today, William?
1: I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. Great to have you here. Now, William has extensive experience within the pharmaceutical industry. He started out in MSL roles at AbbVie and Boehringer Ingelheim, then moved into medical affairs at Gilead, ASI, Viva Systems and Retrofin, with his work covering a range of therapy areas, including cardiovascular, hepatology and rare diseases. Now, as I said previously, he is the chairman of the Accreditation Council for Medical Affairs. So, William... You have lots of experience in pharma, as we've just heard, a career spanning 15 years. What motivated you to leave the industry behind to some extent in the way you were within it and start your company, the ACMA?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been very blessed. Like you said, I've had a great uh, career in the pharmaceutical industry. I've learned a lot, have a lot of you know great mentors in the industry. Uh, but one of the things that I found was working across different companies was that there was a gap. There was a gap and a lack of standards and a benchmark of excellence in medical affairs. And what a lot of people don't realize is medical affairs has grown over 300 percent in the last 10 to 15 years. And as it's grown, we've really got a population of professionals that's very heterogeneous, right? They come from many different backgrounds, physicians, pharmacists, PhDs. And actually, we're not really trained to work in the pharmaceutical industry. If you're a physician, you're trained to diagnose and treat patients. It's
0: a different skill set. It's a
1: different skill set, exactly. And so we felt like we really needed to develop professional standards um, within the pharmaceutical industry space because really, I felt it was really a responsibility Hmm. for us as professionals to patients and healthcare providers. Matter of fact, just about two weeks ago, I met with the uh, head of the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, the FDA in Washington, and they fully support... This idea of developing professional standards and having standards for pharma professionals. So I really believe it's going to be the future of the industry.
0: Yeah, well, that leads me quite nicely onto my next question. So obviously this was a a new idea, a new accreditation. And I'm wondering, what was the process like engaging with the industry? You've just said it's going well now, but how was it initially?
1: Well, you know, uh, we are creatures of habit. And people like to do things the way they've been doing them. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the folks that had been in the industry for a while, uh, like myself, who'd been in the industry 15, 20 years, felt like things were going okay. Mm. Um, but things weren't going okay, right? And I think uh, really, you know, one of the things that you've seen over the last year in particular is what happened in the industry, which kind of blew up in the industry's face is the opioid crisis. Yeah. So you know that things aren't going well, necessarily. And what I, what I think is important to understand for the listener is that, you know, I'm not saying that the opioid crisis was you know mainly driven by the pharmaceutical industry, mm. but clearly the industry had a role, right? Yeah. It clearly had a role. So whether it's the opioid crisis or other issues that have occurred over the years, a lot of deaths in clinical trials, a lot of withdrawals of different drugs, we as an industry need to look at ourselves and really make sure that we're setting a standard of excellence
0: yeah
1: um one of the uh patients i'll never forget this story of a woman who she has a a son that has duchenne muscular dystrophy uh he's 19 now and um, she actually was shocked to learn that the industry has no standards she was like you know for my son i want the best of the best Mm. and i want to know that the msl or the medical affairs professionals talking to my doctors are board certified or they're credentialed yeah and so you know from the outside perspective we need to kind of think of how that looks. And I think, you know, we owe that to patients.
0: Yeah, it is so important to have something like this in place. And it is so encouraging to hear that people are on board with it and it is being well-received. In an interview, you were introduced as a figure who's attempting to or aiming to rebrand pharma. I'm interested to know, you know, to what extent is this your mission? And also, what else can Medical Affairs be doing to regain the trust of HCPs and of patients of basically anyone who's been affected by this crisis?
1: So I'll answer the, the latter part of the question first. I mm. think transparency right. and, and, and having really uh, some teeth behind, if you will, people that uh, violate any rules around ethics and compliance. When I say teeth, meaning <clears throat> that there's a real consequence, right? There has to be a consequence for people that are bad actors in the pharmaceutical industry. And unfortunately today, you know, really globally, really we don't have that in place. Mm. You know, uh, there's a story uh, recently of a district manager who was at a pharmaceutical company and he was involved in a kickback. He said to the doctor, you know, I'll give you this and you write prescriptions, right? Typical kickback story. He got fired for that. But because of the, the laws and regulations around, you know, privacy for employees, he went to another company. Nobody uh, knew that Mm. he was involved in that kickback, but if you have an accrediting body, as the ACMA, in place, and that was reported to the accrediting body Mm. at the time of hire, you can now, you know, go to the accrediting body and say, okay, is this individual, you know, clean, or do they have anything on their record? record
0: Exactly, exactly. So,
1: so now that brings me back to the first part of your question Mm. about rebranding pharma. In any other industry, real estate, banking, accounting. We have those measures in place. Mm. But in pharma, we don't. And, and, and my question is, why don't we? Yeah. Why not?
0: So if you sort of impose this sort of accreditation, the rebrand will follow suit in many exactly. ways. Exactly.
1: Yeah, if you really want to get people to change, mm. that's how you get them to change. Because if I knew that would impact my career, I'd be much less likely to do something that would be unethical.
0: Yeah. Now, going back to... The beginning i suppose now the acma it offers scholarships to those wishing to pursue a career in medical affairs now if we want really effective medical affairs professionals we need that to start at the beginning yes what do you think it's like coming into the industry now in comparison to how it was when you started out
1: it's tough Uh, When I started over 15 to 20 years ago, it was not as competitive. Mm. Today, it's much more competitive. In the United States, for example, the number of pharmacy graduates in the last 10 years has doubled. It's doubled, yeah. I mean, that's a good thing, I suppose. Well, it's a good thing and a bad thing in the sense that for pharmacists, it's become very difficult to try to find opportunities. Right, okay. Especially with the increased technology, right, and mm. advances, um, a lot of the positions that might have been available, especially in the retail setting, aren't there anymore. A lot more things are automated now, even mm. in pharmacy. And so what's happened is it's created kind of this supply-demand imbalance, if you will. And so for the pharmaceutical industry, what you've seen is a very significant uptake of medical affairs professionals because there's a greater supply in the market. But also what we found is that, again, they're not prepared adequately. So one of the things that the ACMA does mm-hmm. is we work with medical schools, we work with pharmacy schools, we actually have a certification program, it's called the Medical Affairs Competency Certificate Program.
0: Oh, it's so a, a more junior version of the larger. Exactly, oh, see, yeah, yeah, and it's
1: not a board certification because to be board certified you have to be a professional, but it's meant to give them kind of a, a 101 training around this area of medical affairs and the healthcare industry in general. Um, in terms of scholarship, you know, I'm very proud to say we've donate we've given scholarships in the last year of over $500,000. Wow. And I'll tell you one story in particular to give you an idea, because we're, we're in over 40 countries. And, you know, I do this because um, for me, it's personal to be, and it's rewarding to be able to help individuals and give back to the community. There's a medical director who works in the pharmaceutical industry in Uzbekistan. She, you know how much she makes a, a month? Two hundred dollars.
0: Wow. Two hundred
1: U.S. dollars a month. That's wow. how much she makes. As a, she's an M.D., medical director in Uzbekistan.
0: Is she working for a local pharmaceutical company? Yes,
1: and she has no access to training or resources. Uh, doesn't know a lot of what is, is, is you know, trained. Uh, what we train on a board certification program. Her colleague, who's a who's a, uh, a medical director in Russia, told her about the board certified medical affairs specialist program (BCMAS). So she contacted us said, I really want to become board certified. I'm an MD, so I'm qualified, but I don't have the money. And there's a lot of stories like that. We have many people like that in countries that are maybe a little bit of a lower socioeconomic status, where they, they are looking for these types of opportunities. They just don't have the access. And that's one of my favorite stories because today, because of the board certification, now she's working at a larger pharma company. And she's she told us, I didn't realize how much I didn't know. I can't believe I was functioning as a medical director without this training yeah. and board certification. So I think that to me, that story, it speaks volumes about where we are globally.
0: And is that the hope to sort of keep expanding, keep onboarding more people from more countries and giving out more opportunities like this.
1: Absolutely. Today in the world, uh, by our research, is about 350,000 medical affairs professionals. Mm. Today, we've certified uh, a little over 4,000 uh, in about almost, like I said, almost 40 countries.
0: Well, talking about the future, you've actually been branded a futurist by your peers. Now, I'm always quite fascinated by this word, and I'd really love to know what it means in a medical affairs context.
1: It's a great question. Um, you know, if a futurist to me in general, the way I think about it, I kind of think of the ocean. You have the waves and the tide, right? I mean, mm. the waves, is, is, it, it comes and goes. It's, it's kind of at the surface level. But what drives the movement of the waves is the tide. Yeah. And I think a futurist understands the underlying factors that are driving what you see at the surface level. So what are the factors that led to opioid crisis? What are the factors that led to a situation where you have a lot of inconsistent standards? Mm. What are the factors that lead to mistrust by the public of the pharmaceutical industry or mistrust by the healthcare community? So there's things that are underlying there. And I think a futurist in medical affairs is able to see kind of what's going on at a level that maybe other people are missing Mm. and then think about ways that that paradigm has to shift for the future. And I think for some medical affairs leaders, again, going back to that old guard, that old school way of doing things, to dispel the way you've been doing things, it's not easy.
0: It's not easy in pharma generally to make change. I think that's something we notice again and again. But I think there's a lot of people wanting change. So yeah. Now, given we're recording in England, um, I'd like to end on a slightly, a slightly more different question. Um, I know you're a football or soccer fan, as they say in America. To what extent does the role of medical affairs or MSL resemble that of a football manager? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I really like this question. Um, it's, I think, in general, to be a very good athlete, right, or, or football or a soccer player, you have to have certain traits, right, to be mm, a successful athlete. Absolutely. You've got to be a hard worker. You've got to outwork a competition. Um, you've got to be focused, Right, you've got to be confident. Um, you've got to know what the goal is. How do you define success? So I think all of those, right, all of those kind of competencies or characteristics apply to a medical affairs professional. Because in the end of the day, a medical affairs professional really needs to be seen as that peer that provides objective education mm-hmm. to the healthcare provider to help them make the best decision they can for their patients. And I think if you do that properly and you have the right training and you have a plan in place for how you can continually grow and fresh and develop, then you've kind of achieved, I believe, excellence in medical affairs.
0: Well, thank you very much, William. That's all we have time for today. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on the EMG Health Podcast. It's been lovely to have you. To all our listeners, thank you for listening this week. We hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of the EMG Health Podcast.
1: Very good. Thank you.